Hello, real life family and friends. And if you're welcome, uh, just visiting with us, I just want to welcome you. I'm Tim, pastor at Real Life here in Montrose, and I'm just excited to be here with you today. We can share God's word together. We can grow together. And we are living in the last days. Biblically, the last days began when Jesus uh, rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And now we are all waiting for his imminent return. And we don't know if those last days are going to be a couple more years or decades or a couple more weeks or days, but we are living in the last days and we are part of the last days church where we are on mission to reach people uh, who need to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and be forgiven of their sins and come alive. And so today I want to give you a message and ask you, are you a strong Christian? Is your faith Strong. I want to talk about something called unshakable faith. To have an unshakable faith. Do you have an unshakable faith? Will your faith stand up under pressure? Will your faith stand up under persecution or under hardship? What if something happens in your life that you don't understand? And it's bad and it's negative and it's hurtful. What if some very important prayers that you pray are not answered the way that you thought they would be answered or seemingly not answered at all? What if... Trouble comes your way and you feel completely alone. What will happen to your faith? Is your faith built on the rock? Is it strong? Is it unshakable? Or is it built on some of the wrong things, some wrong perspectives? That's what I want to challenge you with today because I want to have an unshakable faith and I want you to have an unshakable faith. But it's only going to be unshakable if it's built on something that is unshakable, right? You know the story how Jesus said um, uh, about the, the storms and the wise uh, man who, who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the on the sand and the storms came and, you know, we, we just think about the storms of life, trouble, hardship, difficulties. We all face them, right? And these, these storms come to all of us, good people, bad people, saved people, unsaved people, all of us, right? And Jesus said that if you want to stand, you need to build your life on the word of God, on him. He is the rock. But sometimes um, we're not building it on the rock. We're building it on some other things. And that's what I want to challenge you with today. I don't know if I would call it American Christianity, but there's definitely a strand of Christianity that is very dangerous because it's not really built on the right things or the right priorities. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a strand of an American Christianity, or maybe it's, I could call it self-centered Christianity or worldly Christianity. But I want to expose some things today and see if, if that's a part of your, your belief system. We need to make some adjustments, okay, so that our faith is not built on sand, but it's built on the rock. So I want to start with a very interesting story in the Bible. It's just, it's kind of a shocker. The first time you ever hear about the story, it takes people aback and they're kind of like, wow, what was that all about? So I want to look at this example in Matthew chapter 16, and uh, it, it involves two characters. One is Jesus, the other is Peter. Okay, so listen to this story. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Wow, this was a totally different message Jesus was talking to his disciples about. He was talking about suffering. He was talking about being killed. And of course, he's talking about being raised to life. And so immediately, Peter's hearing this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
He began to rebuke Jesus. And he said this, never, Lord, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. No, no, this is not going to happen. And so Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) I don't know if anyone's ever said that to you, but I mean, this is Peter. This is the guy who became like the number one apostle, right? Who the whole built the whole Jerusalem church and, and the whole Catholic faith is based on Peter being, you know, the, uh, the apostle over the church in Jerusalem. And he says, Peter, he, he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Uh, my Bible says do, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. The things of God, but the things of men. And so there is this idea that I want to expose to you, and it has, has to do with our perspective, right? Jesus is saying, Peter, you're looking at what I'm sharing with you through the eyes of men. And, and I want to develop what that looks like. It's a temporary viewpoint of life. So Jesus is saying, you're looking at what I'm saying to you through a very limited lens of your temporary life and the things that you want to see done in your life, how you want things to be done, right? Peter wanted Jesus to stay alive. Peter wanted to rise up in power with Jesus, right? This was the Messiah. This was the king. He was supposed to come and he's supposed to conquer all. He's supposed to defeat the enemies of Israel. He's supposed to set people free and we're supposed to live happily ever after, right? This was Peter's thinking like right now, I want to be safe. I want to be prosperous. I want to be the right-hand man of the Messiah himself. Uh, I thought we were going to go places, Jesus. I thought this was going to be a great adventure. What are you talking about suffering? What are you talking about dying? I I don't like this. No, no, Jesus. No, this is not going to happen. And that was what was going on. And Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. And he saw the enemy working through Peter's perspective to try to deter him from what he knew to be God's will, which was based not on the temporary view, but on the eternal view that God has. Okay, so let's just kind of create two columns in our, in our minds right now. We have a temporary view of life, and then we have God's view of life, which is eternal. The things of God have to do with the eternal priorities that God has for our existence, not our life, our existence. And, and the things of men in this statement here that Jesus is making has to do with our temporary priority list here on earth. And there are two different priority lists completely. And what Jesus is exposing to Peter and to his disciples and to us is the need for us to move from a temporary, uh, you know, physical world priority list to an eternal spiritual, godly priority list in our lives. And that's what we're doing. And that's called discipleship. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. Discipleship is becoming more like God. And it's changing our minds from earth, from temporary, from feelings, from physical, from pleasure to eternal values and, uh, and God's values. And so what are those? Well, let's just kind of expose that. The things of men is a temporary perspective, and I would summarize it by summarizing it this way. It's based on the highest priority would be self-satisfaction. Self-satisfaction. I mean, 
I am constantly, you and I, we're constantly in this tension of seeking personal comfort, aren't we? If the temperature's too cold, we turn it up or put on a sweatshirt. If it's too hot, we start trying to do something to cool off. If we're sitting down and we, we feel a little uh, uncomfortable, we'll adjust ourselves. Subconsciously, we are always trying to find personal comfort. If I'm hungry, I go find food, right? I, I mean, there's so many things that we do. Our whole existence is in the temporary realm is based on personal comfort, self-satisfaction, personal comfort, health, happiness, ego, becoming successful, having money, having power, having fame. And so, you know, the, our temporary existence is all about preserving our life, uh, making the most of our life, becoming comfortable, successful, feeling good, seeking happiness. Okay? Right? We all agree. But God has a different priority list, and he has a different timeline. He's not limited, as we often are in our thinking, to just this little, tiny little space of time that we have here on earth. He's thinking of eternity. And, and his eternal purposes are much more important than our temporary priority list. And so God's list, I think, looks like this. His number one priority, his number one priority from an eternal perspective is the saving of souls. It's the saving of souls. It's the restoring into relationship of his lost children. Everything that God is doing on the earth today has that as his number one priority, to bring his lost children home to a relationship with him, to save them from their waywardness, from their sin, to save me from my rebellion, from my sin, from my independence, to restore me to relationship with him. That is the number one priority of heaven. Number one, absolutely. And the closer we get to God and the more we become like Jesus, the higher that priority becomes in our lives until it's number one. Until we see the purpose of our temporary existence has an eternal purpose. And that eternal purpose is somehow God is partnering with us to save souls, to reach people. This is, this is amazing. And this is what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, you are not thinking right. Your mind is on the wrong priorities. I have come, right, Jesus says, to die, to, pay my, to give my life away, which is the opposite of our earthly temporary you know, uh, priorities, in order that people will be saved and they will have life. Their souls will be saved. Number one priority for heaven. So the number one priority of earth life is given away so that the number one priority of heaven, the saving of souls, is accomplished. Do you see what Jesus is saying? And now, that's why I want to ask you, do you have an unshakable faith? Or is your faith based on personal comfort? And God is a means for you to experience happiness and personal comfort and preserving your life. What happens if you get sick and you pray and God doesn't heal you? What happens if you have hardship coming against your life and all of a sudden you, you question whether God really loves you or cares about you? What happens if you know, negative things are around you and you thought, I thought I was going to be happy if, if I trusted in God. And I thought God was going to take care of all my problems. And what if your, your faith is based on personal comfort and self-satisfaction and success and wealth and happiness? And God's priority is saving your soul, 
discipling you to be like Jesus, right? Uh, what if God's priority is forming character in you and getting you to completely trust in Him, to lose your life in Him so that you completely trust in Him and not yourself? What if that's what God's agenda is? Do you see what I'm going at? So Jesus continues this conversation with Peter and he turns to the disciples and he says this. This is the very next verse, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, hey guys, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. You got to do what I'm doing and take up your cross and follow me and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to live with this temporary priority system is going to miss it. You're going to miss it. If you think this is what is most important to preserve your life, to preserve your personal comfort, to seek your personal satisfaction, you're going to lose the whole point of your life. Do you see what he's saying? So whoever wants to follow me needs to cross over from this way of thinking, Peter, to this way of thinking, God's way of thinking. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Then Jesus says it this way. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Do you see what's important to God? Now, I'm not saying your, your happiness and your health and your success isn't important to God. What I am saying is his number one priority by far, far above any other priority, is your soul. Is your soul is saving you for eternity, not your personal comfort. Not your personal happiness. Those things are, are fine. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that is not the priority of our existence in God's eyes. We need to know him. He says, what can uh, anyone give in exchange for their soul? And the answer, of course, is nothing. There's nothing worth more than a person's soul, than their eternal destiny, than their restoration with God. Today, if you feel separated from God, if you've never surrendered your heart to God, today is a day for you to get right with him, that your soul will be saved, that you will be born again. You'll be forgiven of your sins and you'll be restored in relationship to God. That is the most important moment in your existence because that's when you come alive again and you get to, uh, you know, the assurance of eternity with God. So we are not to get sucked into seeking the things of men or living our lives in pursuit of things that are passing away. That's what Jesus is saying. There's a higher priority, a higher purpose than the temporary, and that purpose is the eternal will of God, the saving of souls. So I got an example for you. I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but um, I have an internal program that automatically kicks in when I am driving, especially when me and my wife or my family were on a road trip trip. And I have this internal voice that's talking to me all the time. And, and it goes something like this. Get there as quickly and efficiently as possible without getting a ticket. <laughs> okay. I mean, no one taught me this. This is just something that I was born with, right? It's inside of me. I get behind that wheel and I am focused. I want to get to the destination as fast as I can, right? I want to get there safely. Yeah, but I don't want to get a ticket, but I want to get there as fast as I can, right? It's just, it is just ingrained in me. And if someone's not going the speed limit or they're impending my progress, oh man, that, that, that is working against, against me, right? It gets frustrated. Or if there's a truck that's passing another truck and it's taking a really long time and I have to slow down slower than what the speed limit is, that drives me crazy. 
<laughs> or someone cuts me off and makes me switch off my cruise, or someone passes me and then they get in front of me, and then all of a sudden they slow down. I mean, anything at all that's impeding you know, me from getting where I want to go as fast as I can, I just can't, I just can't take it, right? I mean, there's, there might be a sign, and so uh, just a couple of uh, months ago, a month ago, my wife and I and uh, one of my daughters, we were on a trip out west, and so we're doing a lot of driving, and we're in the mountains, and we're doing these curvy roads, and I'm driving, and uh, there's a sign, and, and I don't know if it said for this real sharp curve, 35 miles an hour, but in my mind, I'm like, 35 miles an hour? I could take that curve at 50. That's no problem. I can do 50. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you, but how many of you think that m maybe my wife has a different internal voice when I'm driving? <laughs> you know, she does. And her internal voice um, or her internal program isn't the opposite of mine. Uh, it, it isn't that she wants to get somewhere as slow as possible, but it's different enough that we have had some issues. Okay, and we've had some arguments, we've had some uh, difficulties uh, trying to understand each other in this area. Her program can be summarized something as follows. Get there safely and comfortably in a reasonable and calm fashion. <laughs> if I was to summarize how her internal program is. Get there safely and comfortably in a reasonable and calm fashion. That doesn't quite jive with mine. Let's get there as quickly and efficiently as possible without getting a ticket, okay? So we're on this road trip, and, um, and I gotta confess, this was not the first time that we had a disagreement on this kind of stuff. And I'm getting frustrated because uh, internally I'm thinking, oh, you're just, you know, my wife was saying some things, try to get me to slow down or calm down or be safely. And I'm thinking, oh, she's questioning my driving ability. You know, my pride's getting pricked. My ego's getting challenged. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I had driven 25 years and only had one accident and that was on ice in Michigan, you know. Uh, and, and I'm just, I want to defend myself. I want, to, I want to fight back and I'm resisting it. And, you know, because inside I'm just, I'm so, I'm just so ingrained to think about it a certain way. So after uh, doing this for 24 years together, <laughs> I'm starting to see a different perspective. I'm starting to see things from my wife's perspective. And, uh, and, I, and now I begin to see that, it, it, uh, that she has, has a different way of looking at things. And her priority is to be safe and to be calm. And so I'm working on adjusting adjusting my perspective. But when we had some of these initial uh, arguments, um, I could not see what she was seeing. I couldn't understand what she was saying. I, I mean, my perspective was so different. And she wasn't coming right out and saying, hey, I don't feel safe. It wasn't that clear. It wasn't that clear to either one of us. Now I see it. Now I, but we've had to go through a process to understand each other. But initially, I just was getting offended. I was, I was feeling like she was challenging my driving abilities, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't understand. I couldn't see. Sometimes in life, we're looking at the circumstances around us. And honestly, we have a certain perspective and we just can't understand what's going on from God's view. We're so wrapped up in this temporary world. We have feelings. We have sight. We have touch. We have taste. We have all these 
physical things that we're taking input from. And we're so used to this physical temporary world that sometimes we just can't see what God sees. We just don't get it. And sometimes we fight it. We fight against God. We fight against his perspective. We, we, we want something a certain way. We are absolutely convinced, actually, at times, that what we think should happen is the right thing that should be happening. And it's the best thing for us. And yet, there's a whole different perspective from eternity that God is operating with. He is not operating with the same priority list that we are when we're in that temporary, you know, view of our life where we're, we're seeking, um, you know, comfort. We're seeking satisfaction. We're seeking happiness. God is seeking your soul to be saved. He's seeking your character to be conformed to that of Christ. He's seeking for you to see things his way and to die to yourself, and to die to your ego, and to die to your insecurities, and to die to fear, and to completely trust in Him. He is operating with these priorities in mind. We're sometimes operating with completely different priorities in mind. And I think this is the tension that we live with. And so um, I want to just kind of challenge us on this thinking. There's a tension. I live in this constant tension, and you do too, where we're constantly seeking out personal comfort, and yet we are called, we're called to live with an eternal perspective. We're in a temporary world, but we are eternal beings. We have a short amount of time, and yet we have all eternity. It is just a crazy life that we live. And Christ is calling us out of a temporary mindset to an eternal mindset. That's what he's calling us to. As Christians, in the last days, we cannot be consumed by whatever this kind of strand of Christianity is. American Christianity, worldly Christianity, self-centered Christianity, I don't know. But when we just use God for personal comfort, and when things start going bad and our faith is like, whoa, wait a minute, where's God? Why isn't he this? Why isn't he doing that? Why didn't he answer my prayer this way? And those are legitimate feelings, and those are serious questions. I mean, we all have those moments where we have like a crisis of faith. And that's why I'm talking about this, because this is serious. Do you have an unshakable faith? Well, if your faith is built on an eternal perspective, you do have an unshakable faith. No matter what comes your way, no matter what happens, you are on the solid rock if you have your faith based on the Word of God and who God is. So Jesus says it this way. He says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So it's not that God doesn't care about our comfort. Doesn't, it's not like he doesn't care about us having food to eat and shelter to live in and, and you know that kind of stuff. It's not like he doesn't care about that. He just simply says, that's not the priority. Put the kingdom first and I'll take care of these things for you. But most of us, honestly, a lot of American Christians, honestly, put personal comfort first. And then they slide the kingdom in wherever it fits because we're too busy. We're just too busy with pleasing ourselves. We got our own agenda, we got our own plans, we got our family things, we got our fun things, we got our job things. And we just fill our life crammed full of all this self seeking, self pleasing, self agenda stuff, temporary stuff. We do. We do this. We all do this. 
And God is calling us out of that. Listen, we're in the last days. The last days church is not going to be consumed with self. They're going to be consumed with the Spirit of God. And what's going to come out of that lifestyle is a heart for the souls, the lost souls on the earth. A passion to reach the lost. Because that's God's heart. That is God's number one priority. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. I came for those who need help. I came to save the lost. He's on a search and rescue mission for his lost children. And those of us who get closer and closer to God are going to have that same heart that our number one priority is not our personal satisfaction, but the advancement of the kingdom of God on the earth, which is done one soul at a time, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our priority is the advancement of the kingdom of God, not the advancement of my personal comfort. To have an unshakable faith, you need to be pursuing the eternal priority list that God has outlined for us. This is a bad strain of Christianity, and it's not going to survive in the last days. It's not going to hold up. When persecution comes against us as Christians, and it's beginning in this country now, when hardship comes against you, uh, when when uh, your personal wealth is taken away, when uh, your, some of your freedoms are taken away, and you begin to question, well, wait a minute, I thought, I was gonna, I thought believing in God meant everything was going to work out for me just fine. But what if that's not actually the number one priority of God? What if God has a bigger priority going on in the earth? Which he does. Right? What, what happens when you don't have personal comfort? Does your faith come crashing down? What happens if you don't understand why God did something or allowed something to happen? Does your faith come crashing down? Because God is operating from an eternal perspective. He sees things we don't see. He knows things we don't know. He has such a different perspective. We literally cannot understand everything that's going on through God's eyes. We can't. We get glimpses. We get hints. We get ideas. But we can't quite get there right now. But by God's Spirit, we do get glimpses. We do get understandings. But the fact is that we have something called faith, right? Faith means you're not always going to understand or agree or under, get everything. You're not going to have it all figured out. That You're going to trust in God. You're trusting in God. And you're going to trust in Him with your whole life no matter what. No matter if it works out the way you want it to or not. An unshakable faith is trusting in God no matter what. No matter what. And I want you to be strong. I want you to have that unshakable faith. Paul showed us that he began to see things from an eternal perspective instead of a temporary perspective. When he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles here on this earth are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, temporary, but what, uh, what is unseen, heaven, spiritual. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Paul is saying, look, it's real easy to get caught up in looking at all this stuff, temporary stuff, and getting all worked up about everything here. But he says, but we're not going to focus on that. We are focusing on God's eternal purposes, not this temporary life. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we live by faith, not by sight. 
right? We are living by faith in God and his promises and the eternal truths and priorities of heaven, not by what we see, feel, taste, touch, and all that stuff in the physical realm. So our temporary perspective really is all about personal comfort, but the eternal perspective is all about souls being redeemed, isn't it? It's, it's self-serving versus soul-saving activity. Is more of your life about self-serving or more of your life about soul-saving? Okay, the more we become like Jesus, the more we're going to be soul-savers, not self-seekers, not self-satisfiers. Paul also wrote this, in Philippians, let me look this up real quick. By the way, while I'm finding this, Paul is writing this in prison. So he has this perspective. I don't think Paul wanted to be in prison. It wasn't part of his long-term life goals to find himself in prison. And yet he has a perspective that is beyond his current circumstances, right? And he says this in verse 12, Philippians chapter 1. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served the advance, to advance the gospel. Look at Paul's perspective. He is in jail. He's in prison. Bad things are happening to him. And yet his perspective is, oh, but it's helping the eternal priority of heaven march forward because people are being saved because of the suffering I am going through. This is, I mean, on the, on the surface, this is, a crazy, this is a crazy man. But he's crazy because he's thinking totally different than what we are used to thinking. We're used to thinking about this temporary. He's thinking about the eternal. He says this, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, for Jesus. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. In other words, Paul says, there's some people out there preaching about Jesus to get me in trouble. And this is what Paul says about it. But what does it matter? <laughs> the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And Paul's like, I'm glad they're trying to get me in trouble because they're preaching the gospel. And people are hearing the gospel. And when you hear the gospel, people can make a choice. They can decide to believe it. And if they believe it, they're going to get saved. And if they get saved, heaven rejoices. And the eternal purposes of God march forward. And my life somehow is having an impact to make that happen. Hallelujah. Paul, are you crazy? No, he's not crazy. He is thinking the way that God thinks. He's operating his life on a higher level of priorities. And he's celebrating that what he is doing with his short amount of life here on earth, the temporary that God has entrusted to him, to his life, Paul is now using in such a way that it is impacting eternity for God's glory. Isn't that awesome? That's where, this, that's where he's coming from. That's why he's saying that. And he, goes, and, and he goes on, and you can read more about his perspective. It's just amazing. He says this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Listen to this. Whether by life or by death. Now, this is an eternal perspective that we all need to have. Paul is saying, I just want Christ to be exalted in my physical body. Whether I'm alive, I want Christ to be exalted, or in my death, I want Christ to be exalted. 
Whether I live or die, I am all in. I'm all in. He has an unshakable faith. He goes on to say in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ. If I'm living, I'm going to be Christ in this world. And then he says, and to die is gain. But if I'm done, if my life is over, I walk right into eternity with my Savior. That's his perspective. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, Paul says, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This is an unshakable faith. Paul says, if I'm alive, I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to be Jesus. And you will benefit and other people will benefit because I'm dedicating my whole life to carrying the presence of Jesus wherever I go. People are going to get saved. But, but if I go, oh, so much better. I will finish my race. I will be in heaven. I will be done with all of the suffering and pain. Do you see Paul's dilemma? This is an unshakable faith. No matter what happens, God's got me. It's just so beautiful and so inspiring. You know, we have tension when we don't have our prayers answered the way they think they should be answered. We have tension when we don't understand the circumstances surrounding us. We have tension when bad things happen to us. I just want to talk about this for a couple minutes before I finish. First of all, do I believe that God is able? Do you believe that God is able? Yes, absolutely. Do I believe? Do you believe that God is willing? Yes, I believe God is willing. I believe God is able. Do I believe all the promises of God? Yes, I believe in all the promises of God. Do I always see the results I want? No. No. Why? Because I don't get it. I don't always, you know, understand the big picture that God is up to. Because I'm finite. Because I'm mortal. Because He's God. He's eternal. He's all-knowing. Yes, I believe in God. He's able. He's willing. I believe in his promises. But I don't always see what I think I should be seeing. I don't experience what I want to experience. But that doesn't mean God has somehow let me down. It doesn't mean that I am doing something wrong necessarily either. I mean, a lot of times when I talk with people about this, and we always ask these questions, why? Why did this happen? Why didn't that happen? Why, why is this going on? Why, why did bad things happen to good people? Why, 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 why? We ask why. And a lot of people, these are some of the answers that I think people feel. Well, because I, is it because I didn't follow the right formula, the, like, the right Christian formula? I didn't pray enough? I'm not spiritual enough? I did something wrong and God is mad at me? Is it because God didn't hear me or God doesn't really care about me? You know, and we got all these crazy answers, these, these answers like this, because we're struggling with it. But Galatians 3, 5, Paul says, Does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, because you did the right things, because you followed the Christian formula, because you have this, this uh, Christianese kind of process that you follow? Is that, is that how God filled you with this spirit? Or because you believe what you heard. Paul says, It's not because you did the right things or you're doing the wrong things that you don't get the results. Paul says it's just by faith. You're just believing in God. And that's all we can do. And sometimes we take faith and we make faith a 
uh, a works-based idea. Like, I have to pray so much. I have to quote so many scriptures. I have to do the right thing. I can't do the wrong things. Otherwise, I'm blocking God or I'm not doing something. Listen, don't live like that. That's not, that's not going to give you good results. What I do personally is I fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight. It's a battle. To trust in God, to believe in God, and to do everything you know to do, right? To win victory, to claim promises of God, do everything you know to do, fight the good fight of faith, and at the same time, leave it in God's hands. Trust. Trust in God. Release the results into God's hands. Just release the results into God's hands. If you don't get what you think you wanted to see, don't worry about it. It's, we are not God. We have a different perspective. We're growing in our ability to see what God sees, to do what God does, and to understand what God understands. But we're not there yet. Um, so why do we ask why? Because I think sometimes in this strain of Christianity, you know, we've been taught that God wants me to be happy. <laughs> that God wants me to be blessed. That, uh, and somehow we conclude, I shouldn't have any problems. I shouldn't have any hardships. There shouldn't be anything wrong in my life. But the reality is it just doesn't match up. Yes, God can give us victory. Yes, God's got great promises for us. Yes, God does miracles. Yes, God does healings. Yes, he can do anything at any time. I believe, I believe, I believe. I am a believer. I have seen miracles. I've experienced miracles. And we're going to see more. But... We don't always see what we think we want to see. And we cannot be shaken by that as if we did something wrong or God really isn't trustworthy. No, 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 no. We just don't get the whole picture yet. So what does an unshakable faith perspective look like? Number one, I think we need to acknowledge that there is trouble. There is suffering. There is hardship here in this temporary realm. And Jesus, he acknowledged this fact. He said in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So there's this possibility of having peace. But then Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So this is this concept. I don't want to get into it too much right now. I don't have much time for that. But there's a concept that theologians have described with this phrase, now, not yet. The kingdom is now, but not fully. So we get appetizers of the kingdom. We see the rule and reign of God. We see healing. We get saved. We, we experience the move of God. And yet there's still, there's still not the fullness of the kingdom because there's still evil around us. There's still brokenness around us. There's still death around us. And Jesus says the last enemy to be defeated is going to be death. So at our resurrection, when Christ returns again and the dead are raised to life and the rest of us will meet our brothers and sisters in the, in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever, that's the last enemy to be defeated, death itself. No more death. No more death, right? But that hasn't happened yet. So we have the kingdom now, but not yet fully. And so we're in this season, this last day season, of increasingly seeing the kingdom growing but there's still work to be done, right? And so we have to, first of all, acknowledge there is trouble in our world. There is suffering in our world. There is hardship in our world. There is temporary pain in our world. But our faith, right? The second thing we need to do is have this eternal perspective. But there is a day coming when all tears will be wiped away. 
from our eyes. No more pain, no more trouble, no more death, no more evil, no more bondage, no more brokenness. Hallelujah. We are living in a time when that, that season could be coming at any time. We have to live with this eternal perspective at the same time. And so Paul, later in his life, in Philippians, he's talking about, I believe God still has something for me to do here, you guys. I mean, if I go, it'll be greater for me. But I think God wants me to hang around a little bit longer, right? We see what Paul is thinking and feeling, and he tells us. But later in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see the end of Paul's life, and he's aware that perhaps his time has come. Listen to Paul. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And now we see Paul coming to a realization. God is putting in his heart the, the, the reality that, Paul, uh, you're about ready to meet me face to face. And we know that's what happened. Paul, um, his, his life was amazing. He went through a lot of stuff. You know, he was delivered miraculously out of a prison. He was uh, saved from a shipwreck. He was stoned and either died and was brought back to life or he survived a stoning, right? So many times in Paul's life, God did miracles and preserved his life. But now, at the end of Paul's life, we find out, we don't see it in the Bible, but we see it in history records, the records of history, that Paul was crucified upside down. Or no, 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 he wasn't. He wasn't crucified. Uh, that, was, that was Peter. But Paul, uh, Paul was a martyr for his beliefs in Christ. And so we think about that like, well, did Paul lose faith? Um, did, why didn't God answer Paul's prayers then? Why didn't he save him then? But Paul had this understanding that his time was coming. And we don't always understand why. Why, why didn't God keep saving Paul's life? We don't know. We just know that there's an eternal perspective beyond the one that we know. Now, what about John the Baptist? You know, Peter was miraculously delivered out of prison, the same prison that we believe, I believe that John the Baptist was in because it was the same guy who arrested him, Herod. And Peter was miraculously delivered by an angel from prison uh, in the middle of the night. And uh, he came out. But what about John the Baptist? Was he uh, not as good of a Christian? Because... He was delivered out of a prison so that his head could be chopped off, right? So how do we understand these kinds of things? We don't. We fight the good fight of faith. We do everything we know to do. And when we've done it all, Ephesians says, we stand. We stand. We stand in faith. We live in faith. We die in faith. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verse 8. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Paul's saying, listen, as long as we're here, we are going to be Christ on the earth. No matter what happens, though, even if our life is taken away, we are going to die in faith and immediately we will be with the Lord. Whether I'm here, I'm Jesus, or I'm there, I'm with Jesus. Doesn't matter. And so this is the eternal per perspective that we need to be living with as a church. 
And so do you see what Paul is saying? I fought the good fight of faith, so I need a fight. You need a fight. We need to fight the good fight of faith. We need to trust in God. We need to hold to his promises. We need to battle. We need to go for it. Don't hold anything back. No, I'm not talking about doubting anything. I'm talking about having faith, fighting the good fight of faith. But at the same time, there is a day when we will finish this race. In God's timing, our race here on earth will come to an end. And then we come alive, right? We will enter into eternity face to face with him. And Paul says, I have kept the faith. I have guarded the faith. I have protected the faith. I, I, I've held on to it all this while. The Bible says this is our victory, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is our faith. Our faith is what, is what overcomes the world. So as we finish this message, I want to read a couple more scriptures in closing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 to 12 says this, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You know, Paul is talking about this perspective. We don't see Jesus face to face right now. We don't fully know this eternal perspective that God has. But we do have some of that perspective. We see in a mirror as if it's a, a you know, reflection. But one day we will see Christ face to face. Okay, One day we will see the truth as he does. Until then, we will not understand everything that happens. So don't let that shake your faith. Because an unshakable faith has room for trouble in our lives. We don't concede to it. We fight with a good fight of faith. But there is suffering. There is persecution. There is sacrifice. Why? Because our American-style Christianity that prioritizes personal comfort is not what our faith is based on. Our faith is based on that God loves us. He's for us. He, he, um, and his priority is to save souls of which he has saved mine. My eternal destiny is secure in him. And my life is no longer here. It's there. As Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I am now living before y'all, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and who has called me. Right? And that's, that is the style. That is the, the mindset. That is the unshakable faith that you and I share together. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love Him. We don't even have a clue how awesome God is and what He has for us in the end. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged that you are a winner in Christ. The end is, is better than anything we can think or imagine. And our unshakable faith is in that truth. That God has left his, his, the deposit of his Holy Spirit in us right now, guaranteeing what is to come for you and for me. Eternal life with him. 
But be assured of this. We have a purpose on the earth, church. In the last days, we are here. We are called to preach the gospel, to reach the souls of men and women and young people all over this world. Don't get caught up in the things of this world or the things of men. Let's get caught up with the things of God and let's do everything that we can. Let's offer our, our lives, offer our bodies, our resources to the building of the kingdom of God, which is reaching the lost for his name's sake. Today, if you need to get right with God, as I said earlier in this message, today is your day. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me in your heart. You're going to call out to God. You're going to call out to Jesus and he's going to forgive you and save you. And you're going to be born again and on your way to heaven. So pray this prayer with me right now. Okay. Say, Jesus, I come to you because I need you and I love you. And I thank you for giving your life on the cross, shedding your blood for my sins. You gave your life so I could have life in you. And today I declare with my mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe in my heart, that God, you raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that raising of the dead, Lord, that, that shows me, God, that shows me that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted on my behalf. And now today I receive this new life that you have for me. And I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit so I have the power to live this new life in you, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll tell you, all of heaven is rejoicing with you right now. If you just gave your heart to Jesus and I'm rejoicing with you, that is the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Now keep growing. Keep becoming more like him. God's going to use you to, to help someone else come to know him too, which is the greatest miracle we'll ever experience on this earth. So let me just pray a blessing over you guys. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in his name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great day and a great week.